0: David and Goliath, part four. This is our last episode in our mini-series, and we're gonna explore the biggest reason why David does what he does. There's lots of reasons why he engages with Goliath, but there's a big one that drives David, and it's also one that needs to drive us as well. Part four, here we go. Hey, welcome to The Teaching Series. I'm Brad Gray, and I'm thrilled you're tuning in. You know, the Bible can be difficult to understand, and typically the confusion occurs when we try to read the Bible devoid of its context. Context is everything, and yet the vast majority of people have never been taught how to engage the Bible in its original context of history, geography, cultural backgrounds, and more. At Walking the Text, we create resources to help people understand the Bible in its original context so that they can learn, love, and live it out every day. This podcast is the audio version of our video-based series that you can find at walkingthetext.com or on our YouTube channel at Walking the Text. As you grow in your understanding of biblical context, you'll read the Bible with greater clarity and confidence than ever before. With that in mind, let's jump into our episode. We have covered a lot of ground in this short four-part series and we've actually just done three parts to this episode and we've covered a lot of ground. We've looked at this story in a number of different ways. There's other things that we could have tackled with the story, but as we just kind of stand back from the storyline, the big question that I want to ask as we conclude this mini-series on David and Goliath is why did David fight this battle? Like, what ultimately drove him to go running into the Ayla Valley to go after Goliath? What was his drive? What were his reasonings? Was it one reason, or was there multiple reasons why he did that? Uh, I think the answer is the latter. I think there were uh, multiple reasons for this, and we've unpacked these throughout the series. So one of the things that we acknowledge is that in this single combat, You know, him winning or losing was going to affect the Israelite warriors. So he ran into the battle in order to save the Israelites. Um, We noted in the very first episode around the geography that if the Philistines broke through the Elah Valley, the first place they would come to is Bethlehem. So he does this to save his family. Now, we noted that once you hit the patriarchal highway, it's a two-move checkmate from the ala Valley. Bethlehem is the first, and then Gibeah, which is the capital at this time. It's not Jerusalem. You can go right past Jerusalem on the patriarchal highway. Gibeah is the capital. It's a two-move checkmate out of the Ela Valley. So David does this for the kingdom. Uh, We talked about how David may be trying to validate that he is a worthy king and shepherd. I mean, after all, he has already been anointed. So there are lots of reasons why David jumps into this battle. But the biggest one we haven't tackled yet, and that's what we're going to do in this episode. And the question around why did David fight this battle, the biggest one that I believe that drove David into the Elah Valley can be seen here in verses 45 and following of 1 Samuel 17. David said to the Philistine, to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That the very fact that for 40 days Goliath came out and shouted at the ranks of Israel, defy God in the process. That irked David. And when David showed up and heard Goliath shouting, he's like, Is nobody gonna take care of this disgrace? That they, this guy is absolutely defying God in the process, and nobody is willing to stand up to this? And that irked David. And you see this because in the very next verse, when he speaks to Goliath, he says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Just notice what he is saying here. I am going to do this empowered by God with my faith in God, the skills that I have developed, that God has crafted and built within me. And I'm going to do this so that the whole world will know that there is a God. That is his driving impetus to jump into the Ayla Valley. And then he says, all those gathered here will know that that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. That is confidence right there. I wouldn't go so far as to say cockiness. I would say confidence that David knows where his source of strength comes from, that ultimately God has been defied by Goliath, that David's going to do what he does in order to uphold the honor and the glory of God. And David goes, this is how people are going to know. And he just summarizes it by saying that the whole world will know. And what's so cool about this is that as we go forward into the biblical story, we see the same theme being played out with other characters at significant moments. Uh, Notice what Solomon prays to God at the temple during the dedication of the temple. He prays this, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a distant land because of your name, for they shall hear of your great name, your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When a foreigner comes and prays towards this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that the foreigner calls you to, so that all the peoples on earth may know your name." Your name was your identity, it was your honor, it was your dignity, it was your essence. He says, listen, I want all the peoples of the earth to know your name, respond to the foreigner, and fear you, as do your people Israel, and so that they may know that your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. Solomon goes, do this so that they may know." And then you've got Elijah with the bout with the Baal prophets that as Elijah is asking God for help Elijah says answer me O Lord answer me so that this people may know that you O Lord are God and that you have turned their hearts back He's talking about his own Israelite people that have turned to Baal and Elijah says, God, answer me, work through me so that the people may know that they may know you are God. You've got Hezekiah after Sennacherib has besieged Jerusalem. Sennacherib has said, Hezekiah, I'm going to take you out. The people are fearful and Hezekiah before goes before God. And he says, but now, Lord, our God, please save us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, our God. Do this, God, so that they may know. And then you even have Jesus saying this in John 17 when he is praying for all of his future disciples, that if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus prayed for us. Jesus says this, the glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I love this. Just this call to unity that. If we are living into unity, then the world will know who Jesus is, that he's not a fraud. And I just love that a son of David, Jesus, prays a prayer that has the same kind of language, God respond, do this so that the world may know, so that they may know. And that's what drove David. It's what drove these other characters at these significant moments uh, in their journey is that God's name would be lifted up, that it would be blessed, that it would be glorified, that people's attention would be bent towards God and that through a particular action, they would know who God was. And even in the Sermon on the Mount, which I find just so Helpful in admonishing us to embody this idea that they may know. Jesus says to those on the hillside that day, "'You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others.' that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's what I love about this is that they're actually going to see your good deeds. That what we do, people observe, but in observing what we do, they do not give us glory Jesus says they actually glorify your Father in heaven. That is not an easy thing to do, but Jesus is commending his audience that day that when you do your good deeds, people don't glorify you as much as they are glorifying God in heaven. And the question that I just want to ask as we just tidy up this mini-series on David and Goliath is just to ask the question, why do you do what you do? That as we just kind of step back from our lives and we're looking more objectively now on what we do and how we're doing it, the bigger question is, why? Why are we doing what we're doing? Are we doing that in order to build up our portfolio, to build up our reputation, to build up our resume, to build up our accolades, to build up our glory? Or are we really focused in on, I am doing what I am doing to ultimately bring God glory? to do the things that actually matter to God so that God's name is made great, that when people see my life, they're actually giving praise to God. Uh, Again, it's a very challenging thing to do, but I think just pausing long enough to ask the question is very significant as we ponder the answer. And one of the things that I know that throughout my journey has been trying to ask the question, okay? if I am doing what I believe God is calling me to do, and my driving motivation is to make God's name great, then what happens when people are praising me for the result? I remember a number of years ago just having a conversation with someone, and I just said, hey, how have you wrestled with this in your life? Because this individual is very, very talented, very gifted, very well known. And they just said, well, one of the things that I do is that when people bring me praise, I respond with, I bless God. And I thought, well, that's actually a great idea. And I just kind of went a little bit further. And when, when you know someone comes up to me, you know, whether it's after you know a conference or a teaching or you know, some way of interacting, and they've been impacted by walking the text or impacted by something, and they just say, oh man, that was fantastic, or thank you so much, like I'll say to them, hey, I bless God for that, and thank you. Because I know that what they're doing is they're basically saying thank you for the time and effort you've put into this. And that's really great, but what I wanna do is not only to acknowledge them that they are trying to acknowledge me, but I wanna just push that back to God. And so I'll just say, thank you for that, I bless God, for that. And it's just my way of verbally responding to remind me that it's not about me and also to remind the other person that ultimately this is of God's gifting and if God has met you through the teachings of Walking the Text or through a Sunday or through an event, well, I bless God for that because ultimately God is the giver of all good gifts and God is working in order to impact other people's lives. And, and you know, one of the other things that, that I've done that's just always been fun is that if somebody says to me, hey, thank you so much, and I'll just say, hey, how did God meet you in the teaching? So again, it's just my language being reminded. This is not about me. This is about God. But also to remind them, how did God meet you? And then here's the really sobering reality at times is that people will say, Brad, when you said this, like God unlocked something in me. And I'm running through my Rolodex of notes and I'm going, I know for certain I didn't say that. And yet they're saying, I said this and God met them in that moment. And I just chuckle because I'm just like, oh man, I want the Holy Spirit to work in congruence with me, not you know, as a result of maybe I didn't say something right, so therefore you know, the Holy Spirit is correcting it in someone's you know, heart and mind, which is great if that actually happens, but I would just love to be you know, saying the very thing that God would want me to say at all times. But it's just a sobering reality that ultimately at the end of the day, God is in control and it's not sobering, it's empowering because too often we make it too much about ourselves and and God's desire is that we would use as we talked in our last episode the skill set that he has given to us, the influence we have, the place of, of work that he has placed us or the position in life that he has placed us to ultimately do things well but as people see us they give glory to God and it takes humility to do this well but not the humility that most of us think about. Uh, When we think about humility, we often think about downplaying the skill set or the giftings that we have. But just pause and think about that for a moment, is that if God has gifted you in a unique way, as we talked in the last episode, and you're living that out, and someone is acknowledging that, to deny that gift in a way is to deny God, because God is the one that has given you that gift. So you've probably heard a better definition around humility, where humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not downplaying what someone is saying. It's thinking about yourself less and putting the focus on God. It's acknowledging, yes, I have a gifting and I am using it But at the end of the day, this is not about me furthering my kingdom or my influence or my glory. It's ultimately about God's glory. And as we just ponder, why do you do what you do? Just think about the things that you're involved in, the things that you're trying to accomplish, the things that you're trying to achieve. Why are you actually doing that? Are you masking that as a God thing, but it's really a your thing? Are you saying, I really feel like God's calling me into this, but in your mind you're going, if I don't accomplish this, my legacy is shot. Is it about your legacy? It is about what you've left. Is it about your influence or is it ultimately about God's? Because if we're engaging in things that don't ultimately bring God glory, I would submit to you it's not going to be everything you would want it to be. But when we are engaging in things— that we know brings glory to God, that we know that this is what God has invited us into, or this is what we believe God is calling us to do and we're pursuing it and we're doing it for the right reasons, man, God can do amazing things through when we are really living into this that they may know. This is what drove David It's what drove so many other characters at critical moments in their journey. Jesus says that the world may know, that they may know. So go and do what God has called you to do. Not to make your name great, but to make his name great. And truly through what you do, they will know who God is. So friends, what a fantastic journey this has been on Uh, Four parts in David and Goliath. Thank you so much for your continued support and encouragement of all that we're doing here at Walking the Text. Our goal is to continue to provide you just outstanding resources, just to augment your journey as a follower of Jesus, to better understand his word, to better understand the context, but ultimately not so that we're smarter, but that we live more faithful and focused lives as followers of Jesus in the world today. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And may you walk out the text well in your life.